be going through, so really, I don't know how many parts it's going to be, but we'll just call this part one, Rooted in Creation. So tonight, you know, the Bible studies, God's plan on marriage for, you know, uh, addressing, uh, the for the purpose of addressing this confusing time that we live in. I mean, I know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're uh, born again, you're not confused, but culture around us is confused uh, what marriage is and what you know God expects from a husband and a wife so uh, it is our view here that um, it is all found in the Bible and like I said the message the title is rooted in creation so let's look at uh, our first uh, uh, study here I mean, not our first study but our first paragraph in in uh, Genesis here, chapter uh, 1, but before we do that, I just want to say, you know, in, in learning and wanting to understand uh, marriage, there are many thoughts and teachings that man has imagined, you know, uh, but none can stand up to the model framework of, of God's intended pattern for marriage presented in uh, chapters uh, 1 through 3. So, you know, although the book of Genesis was originally addressed to the uh, to Israel's wilderness generation in preparation for entering the promised land, these three chapters uh, that we'll be looking at today are the guideline. It, are, it is the boundaries of the Creator's design for marriage in every age, not just, you know, the wilderness generation, for every age, even today. So, Jesus... And Jesus's and Paul's teachings on these uh, three chapters agree with Moses and confirm that this applies to us today as well. So, so you know, as we look at this, you know, the answer is, or the question is, who was this God who had saved Israel from uh, slavery in Egypt and had given the nation uh, the law at Mount Sinai, at Sinai? You know, what are the foundational teachings on the family, societal structures, and sin. You know, these first three chapters of Genesis provide answers to these questions. Initially, from the, like I said, the vantage point of ancient Israel, but ultimately for every person that's either watching online or sitting here tonight, or that's for every person that's ever lived, you know. So, in Genesis, uh, you know, God, whom Israel had come to know as Redeemer and Lawgiver, you know, God is revealed as the Creator of the universe, the all-powerful and wise and eternal God who spoke everything there is into existence, into being. So, uh, marriage is shown to be rooted in God's creative act of making uh, humanity in His image as male and female. And then sin is depicted as the result of humanity's rebellion against this against the Creator at the uh, instigation of Satan himself, a fallen creature, and has becoming uh, so much a part. Of, it has become so much a part of human nature today that uh, since the fall, you know, by nature, everyone. Uh, well, not everyone, but the society, culture just rebels against the Creator and His plan for their lives. So, you know, the depiction of the original 
uh, creation of man and woman and the, the fall thereafter in, uh, centers on at least four very important principles that we're going to look at tonight. And the first one is the man and the woman are created in God's image to rule the earth for God. So look at Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created so God created uh, man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Male and female. The fact God created both a man and a woman in his image and in his likeness. You know, I, I, you know, male and female, plain and simple, okay? I have a question for, you know, the crazy culture that's out there. When a man with, you know, gender dysphoria, some type of dysphoria gets prostate cancer, you know, he's a man, right? He gets prostate cancer to the degree that it, to the degree that it needs to be removed, you know, what are they going to call his surgery? Will they call it ovarian cancer? Because because he thinks he's a woman and he has no ovaries, he has, you know, or will it be, you know, prostate removal cancer? So, you know, that's just how crazy, uh, you know, I don't have to go on and on because I'm sure you're aware uh, if you have social media or if you even turn on the radio, you turn on the news, you know, it's just so radical out there that um, the whole idea of culture is they're attacking the foundation, Genesis. But this foundation right here in verses, uh, chapters 1 through 3 is unshakable. The fact is that male and female are created in the image and likeness of God. They both have the same worth, the same dignity and significance as humans before God. Now, some get the idea from early uh, Greek philosophers that the words image and likeness refer to, you know, personality, uh, you know, God's personality or, you know, having an intelligence, possession of some type of intelligence like uh, God does and also having a will and emotions similar to God's. But the Hebrew words that are used here, uh, Salem and Demuth, uh, Demuth or D-E-M-U-T-H, used in this context of explaining creation, uh, develops the notion of the divine image and likeness in the man and the woman in terms of representative rule. You'll see that in, in uh, 26 representative rule where he says um, let them have let them okay, let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle so he's given uh, man and woman together dominion over the world representative rule together as David wrote in Psalms chapter 8, verses 6 through 8, 
David wrote, and he said, you have made, speaking of man, speaking of man, you know, humanity, he says, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. So at the time of this writing to the wilderness Israelites, it's important to know that the ancient rulers of that age would, would, uh, would erect uh, an image of themselves uh, to establish that ruler's claim of authority and rule in the surrounding environment. So, in the surrounding environment. So you get the picture, uh, uh, like uh, the most recent, uh, even in that culture, uh, part of the world, I forgot what year it was, but when we, uh, when uh, the United States went and uh, went to war with Iraq, and then uh, you know Saddam Hussein, who ruled uh, Iraq, you know he had, I don't know, I don't know how tall they were, but they were gigantic statues of himself erected around the uh, country, big you know wall-sized pictures, kind of like. I don't know if you ever go down downtown LA and you see the old Olympic Auditorium fully painted with you know a picture of I don't know who's on there now, but it used to be like Kobe Bryant or it would be Dodgers and it'd be like giant monster size images. But that's what they would do and the the rulers would do in the uh, Canaanite surrounding uh, countries that the Israelites were about to invade, but before they were to invade them, God had to give them uh, the Pentateuch. He had to give them his word and instruct them in holiness and righteousness. So, uh, you know, uh, by placing, by God placing his Salem and Duluth Duluth, uh, um, on the man and the woman, and by sending them in a particular environment called Earth, God assigned to them the mandate of representative rule. So God puts his image and his likeness in man and woman, puts them on the earth, tells them to subdue the earth for him. Right? This rulership that men and women have is a joint rulership. Right? Attested to by the plural pronouns in Genesis 1 verse 28. Look at verse 28. Look at the plural pronouns, them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, God is telling them to be fruitful and multiply. In order to uh, subdue and exercise representative rule on earth, the mandate is to procreate. Okay? Be fruitful and multiply, it says. Fill the earth and subdue it. How are you going to fill the earth if you don't procreate? This also implies, you know, this also implies the principle of, of stewardship. You know, a joint stewardship. So it's not the man and the woman, it's not the man and the woman, but God. God is the owner of all creation. And we are simply 
the divinely appointed, or I like to say, unprofitable servants doing what is our duty to do is to obey the word of God, to be his, the stewards of his earth. Even though together they procreate and they subdue the earth for the will and glory of God, it is the man who has the ultimate responsibility for his wife and children. So the husband has, this is the second point, the husband has the ultimate responsibility for the marriage. Now we're in the Old Testament, but you know you, have, you could look to the New Testament also. Paul's writings, the Apostle Paul, his writings repeatedly put the responsibility of the family, as well as in the church, uh, and the facts that, you know, he puts it on the man and he brings out the facts that man was created first. Uh, man was not made for the woman, but the woman for the man and from the man. Now, I know if you've, you're watching online or you've gone to university and you've taken some humanities courses, that just gets under your skin and probably, you know, makes your skin crawl, but... These are the facts. This is the foundation. This is the Word of God. This isn't a recent study that, uh, you know, the DM5 from the American uh, Psychiatric Association has put together. This has been established from the foundations of the world. Okay? So, it's unchangeable, it's unbreakable, and it's the only way that uh, God's plan for your marriage can work out in such a godly way that you know you'll, you're always going to have problems because that was part of the curse of the fall. But you'll always be you know multiplying, and you'll always be subduing, and you'll always be having a you know a wonderful marital relationship. So you know again, like I just said, you know that. Um, um, Verse, uh, if Paul says in First Corinthians chapter eleven. If you have your if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn there to First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven. Just so I want you to see for yourselves that um, you know Paul did say in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verses eight, nine, and twelve. Uh, for man is not from woman but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. So Paul, all he's doing here is explaining creation, human creation. So compare what Paul wrote, what you just read, to what Moses wrote and go back to Genesis chapter 2 verses 18, 20, and 22. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Then the rib 
which the Lord God, okay, skipping to 22. Uh, then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. This is all Paul is explaining in uh, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. This is all he's explaining to the Corinthian church. But on top of that, on, on top of what we just read, it was the man who received the divine command from God. In same chapter, verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It was the man who received the divine commandment from God. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yeah, and again, it was the man who was presented with the woman in verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. So Adam, Adam was made from dirt, but he was made uh, from man. And he brought her to the man. So it was the man who named the woman with a name uh, derived from his own. Adam said in uh, verse 23, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because... She was taken out of man. And then uh, also in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 3. Just a mention that after the fall, uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve. So Adam named her, right? All these facts that I'm reading to you are from the creation narrative here in Genesis. Implicate that the first man uh, as having the responsibility and the authority of the marriage and family. So therefore, since Adam, the first man, was responsible and had the authority, um, so us also today, us men today also, now, we're going to get more into that, so I don't want to leave you with that, thinking that, you know, uh, back in the Stone Age, as, as of course, you know, uh, the universities, the academians would like to say that uh, Christians, uh, we believe that women should be dragged around by their hair and that uh, men should uh, rule over them with a fist. No, that's un totally unbiblical. If you look at all the religions in the world, you look at all the teachings in the world. Christianity is the only religion that gives woman equal value under God. Equal value as a human being. She doesn't, you know, walk behind man. Uh, she's not lower than man. But you know, and we're going to get into all of that. This is, you know, as we go through on this series. But uh, so the third point we're coming to today is that the wife's role as her husband's ultimate suitable helper. Uh, suitable helper comes from the NIV. Uh, I kind of like that term. Uh, I use, normally use the New King James Version, which says a helper comparable to him. So Genesis 1, okay, real quick, a little short recap here, simply notes the creation of man as male and female in God's image, 
and his likeness. Genesis 2 provides further detail on the exact order and the orientation of the creation of man and woman. So, uh, and then uh, Paul's writings clearly indicate that he considered uh, Genesis, you know, verse, uh, chapters 1 through 3, which we're looking at today, to be a fact of history rather than a myth or fiction uh, as the pagan religions and philosophers thought, uh, taught of that day, you know. So at the beginning of, of human uh, history, God made the first man. He breathed life into him, placed him in a garden, right? Genesis 2, 7, 8, and 15. And gave him moral commands. We, you know, we, kinda, we, just, we looked at that already, Genesis 2, 16, and 17. And before the creation of the woman, the man had already begun exercising the divine mandate to subdue the earth <clears throat> by naming the animals. That's in Genesis 2, 19 and 20. But the man had no suitable helper. Now, I know sometimes, you know, uh, you men that have been married a long time. Well, I've been married uh, 42 years, and uh, maybe once or twice, I thought, man, sure would have been nice to be married to a, you know, an animal instead of, or a monkey or an ape instead of the way my wife treats me, you know. Uh, it doesn't happen every day. I'm not, it, we're not like it all the time, but I'm just being real with you guys that, you know, Carmel and I, we, uh, we have our moments. But, uh, you know, the, the greatest moment I always tell you, and I, I love that moment, is we're coming to church like, you know, everyone else does on a Sunday morning. And, I, you know, we were going back and forth, and she wasn't stopping, and, and she was, you know, uh, um, she was fully, uh, full Eve mode, you know, the cursed mode. She was trying to uh, subdue me, and she was trying to uh, take my authority, and she was boom, wouldn't stop. And I, we kept going back and forth. And then um, I just said, Lord, this woman. Then I thought that I begged you to bring back to me. Carmel and I were separated for a long time. And I had begged the Lord. You know, I didn't want to be, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to be divorced. And it just like, it made us both laugh. Like, you know, Okay, behave. And we were so close to the parking lot that we had to end the fight soon. So, anyhow. So, where was I at? Okay, so... Uh, so, before the creation, you know, uh, the man... You know, I'm not before the creation. So, before the woman's creation, before the woman was even created, you know, the man had no suitable helper. So in order to supply his need for companionship, God created the woman. Now, God's creation of Eve demonstrates that God's plan for Adam's marriage, as well as for all marriage thereafter, involves a monogamous heterosexual relationship between one man and one woman. Only one man and one woman. God only made one suitable, suitable helper for Adam. And she was female. 
It was God who called attention to Adam's aloneness, then creating the woman. You know, these three chapters of Genesis, there's no indication in here at all that Adam was even aware of his aloneness, you know, or being discontent, you know, that he was alone, that he was single. You know, these three chapters give no indication of it at all. But it was God. It was God who took the initiative in fashioning a compatible human companion for the man. For this reason, it can only be said that marriage is God's idea. You know, it's not a court's idea. It's not the state's idea. It's not, you know, government's idea. It's God's idea. And that it was God who made the woman of his own sovereign will as a suitable helper for the man. Well, what does a helper comparable to him in the New King James Version or a suitable helper in the NIV in Genesis 2, 18 and mean? What does a suitable helper, what does it mean? I mean, you know, what does it mean? So if you stay in the text and you do a contextual reading of the expression suitable helper in its original setting, it suggests that on the one hand, the woman is congenial to the man in a way that none of the animals are. I mean, of which of the animals did Adam, you know, when you read Adam's response, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, you know, he said that of no other animal. He could have said that of a, a chimp, you know, or a monkey. They kind of look like humans, you know. They kind of do. I mean, they resemble, but they're not, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, I like dogs, but, you know, I don't want, I don't want a lifelong relationship with my dog, <laughs> you know. My dog's my not a suitable helper, a comparable you know, helper for me. So, um, you know, the woman uh, on the one hand, you know, the woman is congenial to the man in a way that none of the none of the animals are, as he says here again. I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself, but she is bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. You'll find that in Genesis two twenty three. And on the other hand, I'm seeing on one hand she's congenial. On the other hand is that the woman is placed alongside the man as his associate or assistant. Now, I like what um, uh, I read this many years ago. I had, uh, uh, Matthew Henry, commentary. He, he uh, illustrates it this way. He says that the woman was taken out of Adam's side, not under, you know, from his foot so that the man should, you know, uh, reign over her, stomp over her, or, you know, I'm butchering it, I know, but, uh, or from his head so that she should be above him, but from his side, right, from his rib, from his side, that she would be beside him. And that sums it up beautifully. That sums it up beautifully, you know. God pulled Adam's rib out and fashioned a woman and he brought Eve to 
He brought the woman to the man as his assistant, as his associate, a suitable, you know, assistant, associate. Then on a personal level, she will provide for the man's need for companionship. Now, I know sometimes, you know, men, when they get together, you get macho and, you know, act like they don't need their wives. Well, you know, not in the church a lot, but at, at work, you know, uh, I've always, I, I, I drive a truck and I've, the guys, you know, we all get in the room in the morning, we get our paperwork and all the guys and, and then we come back and not all at the same time, but there's plenty of guys and, and they're all talking macho and all that. And I'm, I'm like, does your wife know you talk like that? I said, man, I, I bet if your wife were to leave you, you would, you know, you change, you chase after her and they're, they say no, but then, you know, later on I talk to them and I, I tell them, because, you know, they're talking about other women and stuff, and I tell them, you know, that's adultery, what you're saying. That is adultery. Oh, what? I didn't do nothing. I said, no, Jesus said that if you even look, if you even lust, that's adultery, you know. So, but, you know, uh, companionship, like, like I said, you know what? We have pets, we have animals, we have children, uh, we have friends, uh, we have parents, we have brothers and sisters in the Lord, but none compares to a man like his wife. None compares to, for a man like his, wait, wait, none compare to his wife for a man. Why A godly wife offers wisdom. A godly wife offers prayers. I mean, you know, there's times where, sheesh, you know, I, I, you know, when me and Carmel pray and she's praying for me, I'm like, oh man, she's turning the heat up. I just feel the way she's crying out to God for me and, and His hand upon me and my strength and my vision. You know, like just everything. The way she's just like, man, I think. She's a good uh, companion. She knows how to uh, get in the ring and fight with me, you know. And, and you know, not, you know what I'm saying. Uh, uh, there's none that compare to a wife. And Adam didn't even know that. But the sad thing is, we know that. We know that. And a lot of men mistreat their wives, you know. They mistreat them. They take advantage of them. Uh, they don't give them the due attention they need. Uh, Peter says to dwell with them with understanding. And a lot of men don't even want to try understanding their wife. They don't even want to try. But we are the church. We are the church. We have a mandate from God to be obedient from every scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Some of the stuff we read is descriptive, you know, like, you know, you read and you, you know, like uh, David and Bathsheba. That's not a prescriptive story. That's something descriptive that we should, tells us that, you know, we should avoid. We can learn lessons from. But then there's prescriptions. Dwell with your wife with understanding. Dwell with them with understanding. That's prescriptive. That's a commandment. So, 
In relation to God's mandate for humanity to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it, uh, Genesis 1.28, the woman is a suitable partner both in procreation and in the earth's domestication. Because remember, uh, God said in uh, 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, so her role is distinct from the man's, yet unique and greatly significant. Though she was given to the man as his helper and placed under his overall responsibility and authority, the woman is his partner in ruling the earth for God. Again, representative rule of partnership and representative rule for God. So, you know, those who deny uh, female subordination or, you know, uh, as being rooted in creation point to the fact that the term or the word, you know, help or helper, which is uh, in Hebrew is ezer, E-Z-E-R, or ezer in the Old Testament, is repeatedly applied to God himself. So they would say, well, how could the woman be subordinate to a man when the Bible says that God is humanity's helper. Why is it God subordinate to man? Well, perish the thought. That's foolishness. So if God, who is clearly not subordinate to anyone, is called my help or helper, it is argued, how can it be? Again, like I said, that that term establishes the woman's subordination to the man. All these instances in Scripture prove, all that these instances in Scripture prove is that God is humanity's helper and deliverer. Listen to Psalm, uh, day, uh, Psalm 70, verse 5. It says, but I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. The psalmist is exalting God. Esteeming God high, making himself low, I don't see it the other way around. There's no way you can see it the other way around. So even though uh, it's the same word, the meaning is different. This does not affect his, you know, by, by, by using the word, uh, you are my help. It doesn't affect his divinity. All it does is confirm humanity's subordination to him by our dependence on him. So, being the man's helper is the purpose for which the woman was created as far as her wifely status is concerned. As a human being, of course, uh, who shares in the image of God, the woman, like the man, is created to bring uh, glory to God and to serve Him. Just like the man. That's, that's our ultimate goal, men and women, is to bring glory to God. To glorify his name, to honor him. You know, like he says, to bring glory to God and to serve him. But she is to do it within the God ordained boundaries of the husband and wife relationship, as far as marriage is concerned. And that's why we're here tonight. This is the marriage ministry, and we're talking about marriage and how husband and wife, you know, are to behave or how to submit themselves to God. It's all rooted here in Genesis. Rooted in creation. So, 
uh, like I just said, she, but she is to do so within the God-ordained uh, boundaries of the husband and wife relationship as far as marriage is concerned. As countercultural as that may sound, this is the message of Genesis 2, confirmed by the apostolic interpretation. Remember how the woman is described in creation order as a suitable helper? She is distinguished above all other creatures who were all judged as unsuitable helpers for him. She is equal to the man in kind. She is a fellow human being who is to be honored by the man. Right? Look at the uh, Paul's writings, the apostolic uh, interpretation of what we just read in, of the first three chapters in Genesis. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, the woman, as much as the man, is an heir according to the promise. And then again, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he says... Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Giving honor to the wife. A lot of men, they skip past that, and they like to read it like, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, as to the weaker vessel, and as being help heirs together for the grace of life. But we've got to give honor to our wives, men. So though the woman is equal to man in kind, uh, she is also different. She is the man's suitable helper. Again, apostolic interpretation. The Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I don't want to get too involved in the New Testament because we're currently studying marriage in the Old Testament, you know, rooted in creation. You know, later in the coming months, uh, in later, we, we will study marriage in the New Testament. And you'll just see how cover to cover the Bible is consistent on marriage. The designated, the designated role of a of woman as helper, it's non-reversible, indicated by the fact that nowhere in the Bible is the man called the woman's salem. What does that mean? Helper. Nowhere in the Bible will you see that the man is called the woman's helper. All these distinctive roles of complementarity, submission, and authority must be done in the fine balance of equality of worth, dignity, and significance under the submission to God. The, The man and the woman are jointly charged with ruling the earth representatively for God, representatively for God, yet they are not to do so as unisex creatures, but each as each as fulfilling their God-ordained gender-specific roles. These differences in roles are part of the Creator's design. It is only when men and women embrace their God-ordained roles that they will be truly fulfilled and God's creational wisdom will be fully displayed 
glorified and exalted. The fourth and the last point here is, in these three chapters, is the negative consequences for both the man and the woman because of the fall. The fall, excuse me, the fall in chapter 3, just a complete reversal of the roles assigned by God to the man and the woman. See, rather than God uh, being in charge in in the fall here we see uh, in chapter 3, rather than God being in charge with the man helped by the woman ruling creation for him, a complete reversal takes place. Satan, in the form of a serpent, reproaches the woman who draws the man with her into rebellion against the Creator. Now, this does not imply that the woman is more given to temptation than the man. It does, however, indicate that God's plan for the man and the woman is to have the man, not the woman, assume ultimate responsibility for the couple. The man, by his absence, or at least his Silent compliance to his wife's offer. In verse uh, 6, she also gave, it says here, chapter 3, verse 6, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. It was the man who had received the divine command. And I'm sure he told her, you know, hey, look, of all these trees, that's the one we need to stay away from. We can't touch that tree. And then look at um, uh, what God tells uh, Adam. Because you have heeded the voice, in verse 17 of chapter 3, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten. So, you know, um, Adam's fully responsible. God's coming for Adam. You know, the woman, by failing to consult with her God-given protector and provider, uh, failed to respect the divine pattern for marriage, but in the end, it is the man, not the woman, who was primarily held responsible for their actions. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So God came to Adam because why? The divine roles established by God is the man. So men, um, we're responsible. When there's trouble in your home, when there's trouble in your marriage, you be the first to get down on your knees, seek God, cry out to God if you need to uh, Spend days fasting and praying for situations in your home. Do it. Cry out to God. Don't let the enemy come and whisper, uh, twist God's word to your wife. Don't give him any inches. Don't give him any leeway. You be responsible. Keep your eyes wide open and your ears open. So, for the woman, her consequences are in childbearing. We're talking about the consequences now. For the, uh, of, uh, 
the uh, fall, the fall brought. For the woman, her consequences are in childbearing and the relationship with her husband. She will experience great pain in giving birth to her children. And then that loving harmony in the home will be a struggle with her husband because the desire to control him sometimes in an ungodly manner will in turn get a response from him, an ungodly response. But that that desire for control of your husband is forever present. That's the curse in chapter 3. He says, God said to the woman in verse 16, He says, Then... He said, okay, he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, talking about pain, um, yeah, obviously, I've never had a baby, and I've heard stories of how painful it is, and even one time I had uh, shoulder surgery. I had uh, my, uh, what is it called? Rotator cuff torn in three places. And so the doctor told me going into it, into it the surgeon said, you know, sh- shoulder surgery is one of the most painful surgeries there is, you know, even after. So, uh, you know, I had the surgery and after that, and then dummy me, you know, I was near four or five women and talking with the guys and, we were, it was in church even. <laughs> it was in church. And we were at a fellowship somewhere. And then uh, we're talking, oh, yeah. Talking, oh, man, this pain is worse than giving birth. And all the women just turned around and looked at me and gave me these eyes like, brother, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. But, you know, you women, you know. You know, uh, my wife gave birth to five and... Uh, I saw her screams. I, I saw. I was there. I saw the screaming, and the, I even have a. I think the scar went away, but on her first, she grabbed my stomach. She said, "Oh, you're fall." She grabbed me, and just you know the pain she was going through. I'm like, "Whoa!" I said, "Just for that, we're gonna have four more." No, just kidding. But anyhow, so continuing on for the man, his consequence will be. His will be in having trouble fulfilling God's command to subdue the earth. So not every time he puts his hand to the plow will he produce the fruit of his labor he intended. He will have to extract the fruit of the land from thorns and thistles and eat his bread by the sweat of his brawl. In uh, verse 17b to 19 it says, So together... You know, each one suffered individual uh, consequences, but together they suffered the consequence of being expelled from the garden and eventually death. But God is good. God is good. In verse 15, he reveals his plan from before the foundation of the world, as Peter said in chapter 1, verse 20 of 1 Peter. By predicting a time when the woman's seed, the promised Messiah, will bruise that serpent's offspring on the head. 
Then in verse 21, he provides cover for their shame in the nakedness of their sin by making tunics out of skin. So in order for Adam and Eve uh, to be clothed, a sacrifice had to be made. An animal had to die. And the Bible says that without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In Hebrews 9, 22. So in closing, you know, Genesis three twenty one it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now there are two religions in this world. There are two religions. There is the religion of fig leaves, where... You do it yourself. You cover your sin yourself with fig leaves. And there is the religion of God's perfect provision through Jesus Christ. Covering ourselves with our good works is like, you know, Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. Have you ever felt a fig leaf? Have you ever felt a fig leaf? It makes me laugh. If you, uh, I'll let you go for, go. Find a fig leaf and uh, go to your closet and try covering yourself. See how horrible that feels. It's horrible. It's like way off. Our good works are like Monopoly money. Right? Our good works are, are, are like Monopoly money. They're, they're good for a game. They're good for Monopoly. I mean, hey, you know, you know I, I like Monopoly play the game, but it's not legal tender, you know. It's basically what my good works are. It's not legal tender before God. I can't pay any debts. My good works cannot pay any of my debts that I owe. Only Jesus can pay that debt. So Adam and Eve were clothed in a garment that was purchased with the life of another, right? An animal had to die. We are clothed with a garment of righteousness. If Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, you were born again, you are wearing a garment of righteousness that was purchased with the life of another, none other than Jesus Christ himself. Father, I come to you this evening, Lord, and I thank you so much. For the word of God, Lord. I pray, Father, that, um, Lord, you're so awesome, my God. I pray, Father, that tonight, Lord, as we've discussed, Lord, and we've gone an overview, Lord, of uh, marriage, man and woman, Lord, in these first three chapters of Genesis, Lord, as we call it, rooted in creation, Lord. You instituted it, Father. You started it. Lord, Adam didn't even know, Lord. He didn't even know he was alone. But he was so happy when he found out that you, when you brought him his suitable helper, Lord. He was so happy, Lord God. And Father, I pray for every man and woman in this building tonight, Lord, and maybe watching also online, Lord, uh, that they, Lord God, would look to you, Jesus. They will look to you, Lord, as their Savior, and that they would ask you to restore their marriage to what you instituted in creation, Father. So, Lord, have your way with us. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to have one last song.